Before we pray, I'd like to read a psalm we think is very appropriate to the current situation we're all facing. And I'd like to read Psalm 46. And here the Bible writes, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells, God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks a bow and shatters a spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So as we come to the Lord in prayer, we're reminded that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. May we pray together. And lots of things to pray for, in particular our national and international situation, for our fellowship, for those affected by the virus at this time, for peace and tranquility for everyone. Let's bring before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you now in the precious name of Jesus and we know there is no other name by which we may come before you. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one can come to you except by him. We come to you Father this morning thanking you for all your goodness, thanking you for all your faithfulness towards we your people. And as we come before you now and we call you Father in his close and wonderful way, we're just so aware that by ourselves we have no right to be here. We know there is nothing we ever done or could ever do that would make us worthy in your sight and able to call you Father. And yet we know we may do so, not because of any deeds of ours, but because of everything the Lord Jesus Christ did once and for all on the cross on Calvary's hill. We come to you this morning in the precious name of Jesus. We come before you in resurrection power this morning, that the power that you used in raising Jesus from the dead is our power, our strength today. And we bring you all our praise. We bring you all our thanksgiving. And we come before you now, bringing to you all of our needs in the precious name of Jesus. We pray now for the very world in which we live. 
We pray for people everywhere. And as we see our world today in chaos and darkness especially, Lord, we pray for your peace. We pray that men and women everywhere might turn unto you and your truth at this time. That, Lord, they should be turned away from the powers of darkness into your glorious light. We pray for our world. We pray for our own nation. Lord, we just pray for those in the frontline services, many of whom we take for granted so often. We pray for your power, your strength, your direction. We pray for your protection by the blood of Jesus upon them, protection from this virus as they do such vital work. We pray especially for the hospital workers at this time, for the doctors, praying for your protection, but praying for your strength and grace as they seek to heal people. We pray for those researching now, finding a cure for the virus of vaccine, Lord, that that process shall miraculously be speeded up and a cure will very soon be found. We pray for those, dear Lord, affected at this time. We want to pray for those who feel threatened, imprisoned at home, who feel loneliness so much, especially for those who haven't got not the technology to bring people together. We pray for those who cannot see loved ones at this time. And Lord, we just pray that you be with them especially. And Father, we pray for your peace and your calm for everyone in this situation. We pray for those known to us, dear Lord, who are sick from the virus at this time and sick for other reasons. We pray for your strength. We pray for your healing touch in all of their lives. And we pray that as we pray for them now, they might feel your healing touch, your power in their lives, that they may have grace sufficient for all of their needs. And Father, bless us all now, we pray. Grant us your peace, grant us your strength. And though separated by distance at the moment, we pray that we may feel your power, your presence, your strength, in an even more powerful way this morning. And Father, speak to us as we worship you. Speak to us as we sing our songs and bring our prayers before you. Speak to us as we hear your precious word. And Lord, to you be all the glory. Bless us now, we pray, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. The second reading is from uh, the New Testament, and it's from Philippians chapter 4, starting to read from verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord 
but at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have no, had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And may God add his blessing to that portion of his word. Amen. Thank you, Doug. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you all in, in this remote way this morning. Let's just bring before the Lord his word as we pray together. Dear living Lord, we thank you for the precious gift of your word, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit now, you would unlock the truth of your word for us and the whole world. Bless us now. And may the words from my lips and the prayers and thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I say it's great to be here. I'm sorry I can't see a row of faces, but the Bible reminds us that the things unseen are eternal. Great to be here. And I want to share this morning from this great letter of Paul to the Philippians. I feel it's important so relevant to these days in which we live today. And Paul writes this, this prison letter, doesn't he? It's a glorious letter. And last week we proclaimed that the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And I believe that Immediately after Easter, it's good that the people of God ask themselves constantly, what does this mean? What does a resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ mean for the church? And it means wonderful things, power and might for the body of Christ. When Peter preached his great first sermon, Acts chapter 2, the people were saying, what does this mean when the Holy Spirit came down? And Peter said, he reminded them of these words that you put to death the Lord Jesus Christ, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. And we find now that as we come to this, this epistle that St. Paul wrote in Philippians, we remind ourselves that Paul wrote this when he was in prison. It's probably one of the most joyful peaceful epistles in the whole of God's word in scripture and yet it was written for Paul when he was in prison when everything had gone wrong and yet Paul is joyful it's full of joy full of peace and in a way this whole chapter is one more exposition of the fruits of the spirit the Christian life is the fruits of the Holy Spirit and you know Paul writes in Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But if you look at Acts the Apostles, look at the joy and the peace 
those apostles had, despite the most terrible circumstances. They were persecuted, they were beaten, the most terrible things happened to them, and yet they were full of joy and of peace. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 writes this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I found it letter amazing, Galatians 4, because, you know, Paul is in prison. And yet, in a very real spiritual sense, Paul is the one who is free. He is the one for whom the chains have fallen off and for whom the heart is free. And in fact, the ones who are his jailers, they are the ones who are really in prison, who are being kept, held captive. And perhaps at this time of coronavirus, many people feel very much imprisoned in their homes. They feel trapped in many ways. But the world is part of a far bigger prison. Those lost in sin and darkness. And we pray at this time that this situation may be used by God to bring the gospel to the world in which we live. That for the world at large, indeed, the chains may come off and the heart may be free. This passage is so relevant at this time. And so many, you know, the New Testament epistles address Christian people in times of great difficulty. They, are, they give to us great comfort. And in chapter 3 of, of Philippians, Paul talks about himself, doesn't he? And he says this. Whatever gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may in Christ, begin Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but one that comes through faith in Christ. Then Paul says this, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And at these, at these times, remind, us, remind ourselves that the resurrection means power for the body of Christ. And Alec Mateer once said, public problems need private solutions. In other words, the external problem needs a solution in the hearts and minds of people everywhere. And in particular, in Philippians chapter 4, I want to share how even at these times in which we live, we may know the peace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be a great error to underestimate the severity of the problems that we're faced at this time. It would be a far greater error to underestimate God's power and strength in this situation in which we are in. And I want to share particularly about that peace of God, which indeed passes all understanding, 
that God promises to all who truly believe and trust in him. But as Paul develops the argument here, what he does is this. We need preparation for knowing God's peace. As the people of God, God, God wants us to be prepared. The first thing he says here is in verse 4, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord. Not just when you feel like it, but rejoice in the Lord always. And he says it again. Again, I will say, rejoice. And what Paul and the Bible here mean is not just stoicism. The idea of, well, be all, be all stiff-lipped and endure it. It's a far deeper thing that Paul is talking about here. You know, there are other people in life, you know, the people who nothing appears to trouble them superficially, but that's often not very helpful. We know what Paul is calling here now is not mere stoicism, not mere saying just cheer yourselves up. Paul is telling us how through the truth of God's word, we can rejoice in the Lord always. And John Calvin reminds us that the joy of the world is deceptive. It's frail. It's failing. But as a great, Christian, uh, great Chinese Christian watchman Nee said, the turning point in his life was when he realized that the joy of the Lord was his strength. But, you know, we will never have the joy of salvation if we trust in ourselves and in our good works, you know, as top lady put it, not the labours of my hand could fulfil thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and now alone. And the joy of the Lord enables us, who by nature cannot stand at all, to be able to stand at the moment. As quite often, you know, we're faced with circumstances in which people are not going to be deliriously happy. But Jesus enables us to rise through circumstances. How vital it is. We don't let circumstances rob us of the joy of the Lord. Now, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He understands. The Lord Jesus understands. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And currently, we need mercy. We need grace to help us in our time of need. But as we do so, we know that Jesus understands all. People might say, does Jesus really understand? 
Does Jesus understand when someone's lost a loved one? Yes, Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus. Does Jesus understand what it's like to be driven to the point of suicide? Yes, he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Does Jesus know what it's like to be let down by friends and the people you thought you trusted most? Yes, oh, how he was let down by his disciples so often, especially at the end. Does Jesus know what it feels like to feel separated from God? Yes. We share those words from Psalm 22 when Jesus said the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus felt, too, the agony of separation. And we're called to rejoice in the Lord, even when circumstances aren't conducive to rejoicing. Again, remember, remember all along, Paul was in prison when he wrote these joyful words. As believers, we are so united to Christ to be in him and vice versa. Safe and strong through this relationship. Therefore, let's rejoice in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we relate every possession of strength to that relationship. Joy comes from remembering what he has done and what we are in relation to him. Now, John Newton wrote the words, his love in times past forbids me to think. He leave me at last in trouble to sink. Well, each Ebenezer I have in review confirms his good pleasure to help me right through. And John Newton also wrote, begone unbelief, my saviour is near. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Then Paul says in verse 5 this, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all, because the Lord is near. The different words used in translation here for gentleness, sometimes the translation is moderation or temperance, but it really means this, showing moderation, showing temperance, in all that we do, being calm with difficult people. And let's face it by nature, we all have our moments, don't we? But God's word calls for here to be calm, to be moderate. It doesn't mean compromising with God's truth. It doesn't mean having in times righteous anger, as Jesus did, they turned the thieves out of the temple. It doesn't mean being weak, but it does mean not pushing our own position above anything else. It means showing patience towards one another, especially for those outside the church. In a way, verse 5 is more difficult because verse 5 puts verse 4 into practice. In verse 4, we're told to look to the Lord. In verse 5, we're exhorted to be like him. And Paul reminds us, the Lord is near. There's really two aspects here. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. What grates on me sometimes is an old Sunday school hymn that said, Tell me the stories of Jesus I love to hear. Things I would ask him to tell me 
if he were here. But Jesus is here. Jesus is with us. And the second thing Paul really means here is by, by saying the Lord is near. He's calling upon us to live all of our lives in the knowledge that Jesus Christ is going to come again. He's going to come again. In verse 6 is to verse 7, we find such wonderful, practical living advice. Very few verses in the Bible give us such comfort as verses 6 to 7, where Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, for in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you see, in our lives, the hearts and the minds work together. And what stirs in the heart gets reflected in the mind. So if we are worrying, if we are being anxious, our hearts are troubled, and our minds go adrift and start running wildfire and get us more and more anxious. But Paul says here, do not be anxious about anything. And Charles Spurgeon once said, do not be careful, but be prayerful, because prayer is the antidote to care. Now, you know, prayer does, sorry, care does have a real place in Christian experience. In Ephesians chapter 2, we learn how Ephroditus was concerned for Paul. We're meant to have concern for one another. And by nature, we must do. Now, is that, is that terrible kind of poem by Rudyard Kipling that says, you know, if you can do this and blah, 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 then you'll be a man, my son. And it means literally, if you kind of care about nothing, basically, you'll be fine. And someone paraphrased an alternative version and said, if you can keep your head when all around are losing theirs, you don't understand what's going on. Because there is a godly care we have for one another, a care for God's word, a care for the things of God. But the, the anxiety that Paul is talking about here is the anxiety, a worried anxiety, the lack of faith in the Lord to care for us all. And what Paul is doing now is he's telling us to pray. If we feel anxious, if we're seeking God's peace, we want to bring ourselves before the Lord in prayer. But we can't just rush into it. Paul doesn't want us to just simply rush in and ask God for his help in all that we do. There must be a preparation we do beforehand. And really here, Paul piles up all the aspects of prayer here in secret. He says, don't rush into it. He says, first of all, in everything, bring our prayers before the Lord. We need to bring our prayers before the Lord when we think it's unnecessary. We need to bring our prayers before the Lord when we think things are going well and perhaps we think we don't need prayer. We need to bring our prayers before the Lord when we think things are too difficult. We need to bring our prayers before the Lord when 
we're not, we don't feel in the mood for it. Because when we're not in the mood for prayer, it's exactly the time where God needs to work and act in our lives with powerful intercession. And Paul says, exercise thanksgiving in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. As we come before God, we need to come before him with a sense of worship, with a sense of reference. Spurgeon said that this is in Ephesians, in Philippians chapter 4, it is prayer perfumed with praise. Before you rush in, praise God for all that he's done. Praise God for all that he means to us. Remember what God has done. Remember the words of John Newton again. His loving times past forbids me to think. He leave me at last in trouble to sink. We have past recollection of answered prayers. And that gives us confidence in the future prayers and future requests. And then when we've done so, we may bring our prayers before the Lord. Bring him all of our requests. And in verse 7, Paul has this wonderful thing, he says. And if you do all this, and the peace of God, which passes, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And really, you know, peace is the first fruit of Calvary, the first fruit of the resurrection, having that peace of God. And many servants of God will testify how in the most direst circumstances, supernaturally, miraculously, they have felt the peace of God in their hearts and lives. It may have been the death of a loved one, given the strength to attend the funeral of a loved one. In the most trying, difficult circumstances, they have known that peace of God that passes all understanding. During the First World War, there was a man called John Hutton. He later became minister of Westminster Chapel, the famous pulpit of, of, of Martin Lloyd-Jones and Campbell Morgan and R.T. Kendall. But at the time, he was living in Scotland, and he was, he was booked to be a guest preacher at Westminster Chapel in London. Just as he was about to leave for London from Glasgow, he got a telegram to tell him his son had been killed in action during the First World War. And John Hutton wrote and recorded this, that he said preaching seemed impossible. And he began to draft a message to London, begging to be excused. But somehow God kept him from drafting and sending that message. He got on a train almost unconsciously and went down to London. He entered the pulpit that morning. And he testifies that as he entered Westminster Chapel and said the words, let us pray, he felt the peace of God entering his heart and mind and life, giving him all the strength he needed in his situation. It's the peace of God guarding us. And the word guard really means like a garrison. It's as though through God's grace and strength, God will put a mighty garrison, a mighty army around us, protecting us from all the attacks of Satan, all the attacks of evil. Remember Elisha, when he had a running with the king of Dothan, and 
he was surrounded by, by the army of the king and his servant senses. What shall we do? And, and Elisha said, oh, Lord, open his eyes. And they saw around us firing chariots and army protecting him from all of his foes. You see, need to guard the heart and mind. The source is the heart and the mind's the outflow of all that we think. We need a God of peace. And the resurrection message is that Jesus is with us. When the Lord Jesus Christ first appeared to his disciples, his first words were this, peace be with you. For the other God of peace is a God of power. Oh, if we look at Hebrews in the 13th chapter, and that glorious doxology. What does the writer of Hebrews say? He says these words. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is a God of power. But when the Bible talks about God and peace, there is a threefold peace we're talked about. And it's vital that we get that peace in the right order. The first peace the Bible talks about is peace with God. And if there's anyone listening this morning who has not currently got peace with God, first of all, I urge you to seek that peace with God, be reconciled to him, because without peace with God, we won't receive the peace of God. And Paul writes in Romans chapter five, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. First of all, we need to find peace with God. But then the peace, having got peace with God, it sorts out the problem of other people. You see, the world is torn apart by division of all kinds. And when Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, he reminded Ephesian Christians how once they were far off from God, but now God has made them both one through his most precious blood. The peace with God brings peace with one another. And finally, having got peace with God brings the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And God's peace works by presenting the Lord Jesus Christ to us and reminding him, minding us about him. And there's an argument that Paul uses in Romans, in Romans chapter five, where he says constantly, well, if God has done this, how would he possibly not do the little thing? If, God, if God's done the greater thing for us, how would he possibly let us down in doing the lesser thing? If God has done the greater thing, how can he possibly 
fail us. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, gives peace with reference to the internal, ourselves, gives peace with reference to external circumstances. And we know this, that the God of peace will be with us if we have unity as Christian people. Because in Philippians, Paul too has been urging the unity of the body of Christ, coming together as one, united in Jesus Christ. And as we are united in Jesus, then we know that the God of peace will be with us. And Paul really emphasised this by saying that in verse 9, whatever you've learned, sorry, verse 8 and verse 9, finally brothers, and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, whatever is noble and right, the fruit of the Spirit showing all of our lives. And then Paul says, whatever, verse 9, whatever you've learned and received or heard or seen in me, Put it into practice. And really, again, what it means here is just this. It is the apostolic teaching. The apostolic teaching comes to us through God's word. And we're reminded here to believe in God's word. Put God's word into practice. Not the wisdom of the world, but the word of God. Believe it. Believe everything it says. Trust in it. And put it into practice. But finally, you know, Paul is an amazing writer. Even when Paul is summing up and bringing things to a conclusion, he brings in an amazing fresh revelation. He's saying here in verses 10 to 13, really, he's giving some biographical details about himself. Remember again and again, when Paul is talking about being joyful in the Lord and having the peace of God, he's in prison, we believe probably in Rome. We believe he's chained in the most terrible prison conditions. And yet he rejoices and even believes that his imprisonment has brought glory to God because it's made the followers of Jesus Christ even more bold in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he thanks the Galatians, the, the Philippians, sorry, for the gift that they have sent to him. But he traces the gift back to God's influence. His response is joy in the Lord. That staggering statement. And in verse 13, he says those wonderful memorable words, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And Charles Spurgeon once said that the former part of that verse would seem impudent daring without the latter part. You know, I can do all things, but through Christ who gives me strength. There's once a story of an old Welsh preacher who preached upon this text, and he, he, he began a rhetorical conversation in that wonderful Welsh oratorical tone where he said, Paul, what are you saying? You can do all things, Paul. Haven't you finally gone too far? And he, he, emphasized, and he said, oh, Paul, I beg your pardon. I didn't realise there were two of you, you and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ 
infuses our strength into his lives, into our lives. We can do all things through him alone who strengthens us. There's a man called Henry Schugler, Scott's Puritan, wrote a famous book. It was called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. And that was apparently John Wesley's favourite definition. What do you mean by a Christian? And John Wesley echoed Henry Schugler and said, a Christian is someone in whose life, in whose soul is the life of God. Perhaps in the modern church, the modern church so often wants to proclaim, we can do all things, but let me out a bit about through Christ who strengthens us. It was said that Charles Wesley came to Christ through a man called John Bray, who was a poor brazier. He knew nothing except Christ, but because he knew Christ, he knew everything. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And God's word is speaking to us today in our current situation and circumstances. No matter how dire they may seem to the world, no matter how trying they may seem to everyone today, we know that God is with us. We know the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we know if we trust and believe in him, the peace of God will be with us. May we pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, your word of grace and truth, empowered, written by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, bless your word to our hearts and lives today. And as in the coming days, we pray for your strength and your grace to be upon us, that we might know your peace that passes all understanding only through the Lord Jesus Christ. In his precious name, we ask it.